Uh, it is good to be here today. We're going to look at Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 19 through 30, and I'll read that for us. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in his spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. Then verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my fellow brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me, upon, uh, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, the passage that we have before us uh, appears to have with it much less grist and theological weight than a passage you might uh, look at on a Sunday. But as one of my old math professors said, it's the small, skinny math books that you have to be most scared of. Now, there's nothing to be scared of in this passage, but there's quite a bit to digest because we have in here a picture of community with incredibly strong bonds. Uh, we see the Apostle Paul, the author. We see Timothy, his mentee. We see the church in Philippi. We see Epaphroditus, a member of that church. And so it's just this strong, beautiful picture of community, people looking out for one another. And so this topic of caring for one another uh, might not be very exciting, but it is crucial. It is crucial nonetheless, as uh, the late philosopher Dallas Willard uh, once put it, what people today are experiencing is the process of constantly being pulled apart by things that they submit themselves to. Most don't even notice, and when it comes to issues of exercising character and will, it simply isn't there for them. They can only respond to things that are pulling at them, and it's a loss of self-direction. The old saying from the drug generation, tune in, turn on, and drop out, has been made manifest we have a generation of young people now who are living in a constant state of dropped-outness from the real world and from community and from the integrity of themselves, and they don't even know that that's an expression of their loneliness. But most of them don't know what community means because it means assuming responsibility for other people, and that means paying attention 
and not following your own will, but submitting your will and giving up the world of intimacy and power you have and little consumer world that you have created for yourself. They don't know why community might solve that, but when they look community in the face and realize that it means raw skin-to-skin contact with other people for whom you have become responsible, that's when they back away. In other words, because we're relational beings, we need each other, but not just to survive. We need each other, and you need community if you want to become the kind of person that you can be proud of at the end of your life. Because it is through community that we are shaped into a, a kind of person that we can be proud of. Now, what we have in this passage is verses uh, 19 through 30 is really just uh, two paragraphs. And uh, verses 19 through 24 is a, a paragraph on, on Timothy. And then 25 through 30 is a paragraph on Epaphroditus. And we see uh, some communities here represented. Uh, Timothy is representing Paul, maybe a community of two. Paul, keep in mind, is in prison. And he's writing to the church in Philippi. And he's saying that he's going to send Timothy uh, uh, over to this community once this verdict of the trial that he's awaiting uh, is is complete. And so Timothy is going to personally deliver the verdict to the church in Philippi. And then after that, Paul says he's going to follow. So clearly he expects a good outcome. That's the first paragraph. Now the second paragraph has to do with the community in Philippi. Uh, Epaphroditus was a messenger sent uh, by the Philippian church to care for Paul. But as we read, he became sick, uh, and so essentially he risked his life to care for Paul. And uh, Paul, as a, out of a gesture of love and kindness, is going to send Epaphroditus even before Timothy because he knows that the church in Philippi will just be uh, glad and they'll be full of joy to see that their brother is doing well. And so that's essentially what you see happening in verses 19 through 30. That's how the, uh, uh, the end of chapter 2 com- concludes. And it sounds really underwhelming. It feels really underwhelming. Uh, but commentators are quick to point out that you don't get a proper reading of verses 19 through 30 unless you consider verses 1 through 4, the beginning of, of chapter 2, which is why we read it this morning. And verses 1 through 4 essentially is all about not uh, thinking of yourself more highly than you ought that's essentially what we see in verses 1 through 4. And so we take that, the start of the chapter 2, and we use that as a lens to look at verses 19 through 30. And we use that as a lens to look at Timothy and a lens to look at Epaphroditus. And we start to hear some echoes. And so in that first paragraph with Timothy, what we see, especially in verse 21, is that he was one of the only guys around Paul who considered the welfare of others rather than his own. And Paul thought, this is a good guy to send to the church in Philippi. And then regarding Epaphroditus in the second paragraph, what we learn is that Epaphroditus, uh, again, was a messenger of the church of Philippi, was, was bringing Paul material uh, supplies, probably financial gifts, just an encouraging presence. Uh, and uh, we learn that uh, Epaphroditus was uh, a person who would be willing to risk his life to care for others. Uh, verse 27 in the Greek literally reads that he was a next-door neighbor to death. We might say that he was at death's door. And so um, the church in Philippi sent somebody like Epaphroditus with a strong heart and a strong will over to Paul. And that's an echo of verses 1 through 4 as well, willing to risk your life to care for others. So we have Timothy, a man who would, would consider the welfare of others rather than his own. We have Epaphroditus, 
uh, someone who's willing, willing to risk his life to care for others, what's the point? Well, commentators uh, unanimously point out that uh, this is not a passage about just simply two men. Uh, one commentator puts it this way. We have at the end of Philippians 2 no major doctrinal issues to discuss, but this section is vitally important, nevertheless, especially if you are a leader. The passage talks about the character of two Christian workers, Timothy and Epaphroditus. In other words, if, if we read this passage simply as a passage about two guys, we're going to miss the point. And we're going to miss the whole point of chapter 2. This section is not lifting up two men, but rather it's lifting up character. Verses 19 through 30 is not lifting up two people, it's lifting up character. Commentators are unanimous in that. Uh, Paul was in prison, and he was given lots of gifts, but the best gift that he was given was people of character. And so this is the first point, that if you want to become a person who cares well for others, your first calling is to pursue character over talents. If you want to become a kind of person who cares well for others, your first calling is to pursue character over talents. And that essentially is uh, part of what it is to have a life that you can be proud of at the end of your life, a life that cares well for others. And it's not a life that uh, is about talent first. It's a life that's about character first. And in a city like New York and its surrounding areas, that's a message that you don't often hear. This region, right, New York City and the surrounding areas, values talent and values results above everything else. It's very easy to be persuaded by talents. Uh, even in the church, if she's not careful, can be blinded by talents. But what wisdom shows us is that talent only gets you so far. Talent only works for a season. But when everything plays out, and everything always plays out, when character is on full display, it always outshines talent. Always does. Okay, what's character? Well, the dictionary says character is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. In other words, uh, it's the result of the quality of your heart. That's character. And therefore, to be an authentic person and to be an authentic community doesn't begin uh, with talent. It doesn't even begin with vulnerability. It begins with character. As one coach has said, uh, talent might get get you in the room, but it's character that keeps you in the room. This passage also shows us something really important regarding character, and it's how it's produced. It's how it's created. It's how it's made. Verse 22, Paul articulates Timothy's character as one who has proven himself. In other words, there's a kind of character that only trials can produce. Uh, There's a kind of character that only suffering can, can bring about. And therefore, if you are willing to persevere through trials you will come out a better person, a stronger person, one of better character. And if you're a Christian and you're willing to persevere through difficult seasons of life, a difficult marriage, uh, a difficult uh, maybe physical suffering, if you have the strength to persevere through that, your faith will actually become stronger as a result. And so as glamorous as talent might appear to be, and it's very glitzy, When character is on full display, character always beats talents. In 2009, there were two storylines to follow in professional golf. 
The first storyline was of an exposed, uh, affair-laden, broken marriage of a generational golfer. And the second one, the second storyline, was a golfer whose wife and mother were both diagnosed with cancer just months apart from each other. And the second golfer decided to take some time off from his game in order to care well for his wife and for uh, his, his mother. And the second golfer, you might remember, was Phil Mickelson. And uh, in a sport where muscle memory is crucial, taking time away from your game for any reason is incredibly detrimental. And yet in April of 2010, just let 12 months, less than 12 months after his wife was diagnosed with cancer, uh, something unexpected happened, and uh, Mickelson won the Masters. But it was interesting because it wasn't his talent and the result that stole the headlines. It was something else. One sports writer at the time put it this way. Phil Mickelson glanced to his right as he prepared to sink a putt to win the Masters. And through the crowd of cameramen and spectators, he finally saw her. The long blonde hair, the tissues pressed to her nose, the moist eyes behind the dark sunglasses. Mickelson said, I wasn't sure if she was going to be there. But after his victory, the moment that mattered had nothing to do with the green jacket being slipped over his arms. It had everything to do with him slipping those arms around his wife's shoulders as the sun started to set on the course. It was the hug. Could you hold it together as you watched on television? Few around him here could. There are very few moments in the lives of professional athletes that we can relate to, but this was one of them. And so, a tournament that started with questions about infidelity and mistresses ended with a simple show of affection between loved ones who had been through a much different ordeal. TMZ won't have much interest in this story. Mickelson stepped away from golf to be with his wife during her treatments. He missed tournaments and practice rounds. His game suffered, and he arrived for the Masters with just one top ten finish that season. But for the first time, he had something else. His family. You choose character over talent every time, every day. Even though for some reason, choosing character can be the harder decision in the heat of the moment. When it's all said and done, character is always the obvious choice in the moment. And this is because it's the thing that lasts the longest. The Bible says a good name is better than gold. Or as Christopher Pratt put it at the MTV Awards this summer, you have a soul. Be careful with it. And if you're a Christian, be reminded of the currency that God values most. He values character and life transformation above all else. And so we have to keep in mind that at the end of our lives, we're not going to be judged so much by what we accomplished, but rather how we accomplished it. And so if you're a business leader of any level, a manager, an owner, a really hard worker on your team, if you're producing hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, if you lie, stole, broke promises, cheated, character says all that success is worth nothing. Or maybe you have some leadership and uh, you're admired by many people. Maybe doors are opening up because of who you are and what you've done, your charisma. But if you lie, stole, cheated, broke promises, character says that all, of the, all the praises and all those opportunities that have come are worth nothing. And so if you want to be a kind of person like Timothy who values the welfare of others rather than himself, 
If you want to be a person, even like Epaphroditus, who's willing to risk his life to care for others, which, by the way, living either of those lives are lives that you can be proud of. If you want to be like Timothy or Epaphroditus, you have to remember that it, it starts by choosing character over talent every single day. And that is the beginning uh, of a life in which you will be able to care well for others because it's a life about character. Now, as we look at this passage, commentators point out that uh, this passage embodies care by the different things that are being exchanged between the two communities. And so Paul sends Timothy. The church in Philippi send Epaphroditus. Along with him are gifts, financial support, and commentators point out that this is, this is a, a, a display of their mutuality that's embodied in solidarity for one another. And therefore, if you want to understand the texture of a, of a relationship, of a bond that looks out for one another, you need to first consider their mutuality that they share together. And so we might consider first uh, what mutuality isn't, because sometimes it's helpful to consider what something is not before we consider what something is. Okay, what mutuality isn't? Well, consider maybe it's counterfeit. The counterfeit of mutuality is manipulative relations. And so you have exchanges between people and communities and parties that appear to give off this appearance of caring well for others, but counterfeit mutuality is just simply that, the appearance of caring for one another, when really the main motivation underneath all of that is manipulation, trying to one-up the other person, selfish ambition. Maybe you even do it over and against the other person or the other party. And that's, that's manipulation. That's not actually mutuality. Counterfeit mutuality is manipulative relationships. Counterfeit mutuality can also be uh, seen in uh, giving most of the truth but not all the truth, and then using loyal people and structures to hide behind so that you don't have to face the consequences when the full truth comes out. That's manipulation. And so manipulation is all about profit over people. Counterfeit mutuality is all about business over relationships. And there's no character to that. That that grates against mutuality. That grates against solidarity. That would be like Paul sending Timothy to the church in Philippi hoping to get a better social position of power in that church. And so this is the second point. To be a person who cares well for others means you are called to pursue mutuality over manipulation. If you want to be a person who cares well for others, you're called to pursue mutuality over manipulation. Now, I want to get practical here because what we see in this picture is really a practical call for the church that we should be a beacon of mutuality for the community that we're in. We should be known for our mutuality for our community. But we have to consider, no matter where we're at, there's always an aspect of culture uh, that works against mutuality. Different forces at play that are above any one person, but maybe even on a system level, that grates against mutuality, grates against solidarity, love and care that you might see in a a community for other communities. Uh, Sister Helen Pregen, in her book, uh, Dead Man Walking, looks at the relationship between fear and love. And she makes a point that in our society at large, and really in the world, we have failed, uh, the human, as a human race, we have failed to know one another and to allow ourselves be known by others, not just on an individual level, but on a community level. And this failure of being known and knowing others breeds naturally fear. 
But fear, of course, doesn't lead to rich communities that excel in peacemaking, forgiveness, love, mutuality. And as a result, the strategy for living changes in the context of fear. She puts it like this. Whatever we can do to have direct experiences of, of encountering one another and sharing in our experiences, it will set our hearts on fire to begin to work for something called the common good. But we've never met each other. There's a lot of separations. Don't go into that neighborhood. You can't be with those people. Those people will just as soon shoot you as look at you. Now take that on a small scale with us domestically and then write at large and you have terrorism. We are still working out of a basic model, which is you find your enemy, you, de- you demean your enemy, and then you kill your enemy. And that is the only way to have peace. And that's a commentary on our society that we need to hear because she's picking up on an aspect of our culture that works against mutuality for one another. And it's this operating system of fear that when we fail to know each other well and we fail to allow ourselves to be known, fear abounds. And that completely changes the way that we uh, interact with one another. And therefore, of course, if we want to be a community shaped by the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, which is all about uh, being vulnerable for one another, we need to work against this uh, uh, culture of fear. And uh, when we think about what it is to be a church that's a beacon of mutuality for this community, I want us to see that our passage shows us that the way to do that is first to be a community that shares mutuality with one another. That we internally are, become a community for one another, that creates a strong base so that we then can become a, mutual, a community of mutuality for the surrounding area that we're in. And so what we have in this passage is a picture of deep relationships. It's just dripping with relationships. And it serves as a reminder that the Bible is written in the context of very real lives, in the context of very real people, in the context of a very real world with a lot of pain and hardship and suffering, broken relationships, broken bodies. And yet, what do we have here? We have Paul, who's in a Roman prison. And I, I cannot even imagine what it's like to be in an ancient Roman prison, but there he is. And yet, those bars, the jail bars, and everything that that represents did nothing to slow down the mutuality that he shared with the Philippian church. And we can know that the mutuality that they, were, that they had in which they were strengthened together absolutely played an important role in them, the Philippian church, being a community of mutuality for Philippi, for the town and the city that they were, that they were placed in. And so to be a church for your community first begins by being a church for one another. See, mutuality is all about shared relationships between people. Uh, it's not about equal balances or, or fair exchanges. Uh, mutuality is anti-manipulation. And uh, this is why I try to remind people that the reason why we need community is there are certain seasons in life in which you don't have the strength to fight for yourself. And if you're a Christian, there are, you have certain seasons in which you can't even pray for yourself. There are certain seasons that you can't even hope for yourself. But community comes in, and in a season in which you can't fight for yourself, it fights for you. And in a season in which you can't pray for yourself, it prays for you. And in a season in which you can't hope for yourself, it hopes for you. One commentator puts it this way. This helps us become people of joy because joy doesn't mean the absence of sorrow, but the capacity to rejoice in the midst of it. Let me read that again. This helps us become people of joy because joy doesn't mean the absence of sorrow, 
but the capacity to rejoice in the midst of it. So how do we gain capacity to rejoice in seasons of sorrow and in seasons of trials? Not on our own strength, but our capacity comes from the community lifting us up. They become our capacity, and they give us the space so that we can learn to rejoice. So let me get practical here again. What, what is it to, uh, to begin to share in mutuality and to be a community for one another? Uh, my wife and I experienced this uh, earlier this, this year um, at our own church, Redeemer, in Manhattan. Uh, my son was going through a, a difficult physical health issue, um, and uh, it just buried us in terms of time and energy. And when you couple that with a, with a three-month-old at home on top of it, um, every single night uh, for months we were just spent. Um, but thankfully we have amazing family, and we have uh, an amazing local community there on the, on the east side, and they rallied together to really tangibly serve us. Uh, people would put us on their, on their prayer cards, and they would pray for us every day and every week throughout those months. And as a pastor, I know it's hard to pray even for one minute every day. And so when I, when I know that uh, different friends are pr- taking time out of their day to pray for us every day or every week, it means a lot to us because I know it's not easy. And different people in our small group uh, would rally together uh, with other friends to cook us meals, lots of meals, uh, on the nights that I or my wife couldn't make it home because of work, um, people would come over and help with bedtime. Uh, and we felt incredibly cared for. In a season that was overwhelming for us, we were overwhelmed with solidarity from our community that shares mutuality with us. And I found myself in that season wrestling with this question, how, how can I repay this support? And what I was reminded is that you don't repay mutuality. You don't repay solidarity because solidarity doesn't even, even know how to ask that question. Mutuality, solidarity, only know how to ask one question, how do I fight for you? And in real relationships where solidarity, embodied mutuality exists, in seasons of trials and suffering, relationships are always lopsided. Uh, care and support always flows one direction. Again, look at the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. But the church in Philippi is sending Epaphroditus, sending financial gifts, sending material gifts. The care is going one direction. And that's okay. Actually, that's, that's like the definition of solidarity and mutuality. No one's worried about, is this even? Have I paid you back? Again, because solidarity and mutuality is only interested in asking one question. How do I fight for you? So if you want to be a church that can care well for others in this community, can be a beacon of mutuality, for the community that, that it's situated in, we first need to learn to be a community for one another. That becomes the building blocks for us so we can be this church that's radically countercultural. When our community is running by fear, we, we operate out of love. When our community is operating out of hostility, we operate out of peacemaking. The only way that can happen is if we can make peace and, and live in mutuality with one another first. So I'm putting these two bigger ideas together, to pursue character over talent and to pursue mutuality over manipulation. We have a life that if you lived, you could be proud of at the end of your life. Now what undergirds all of that? I want you to see that that this is undergirded by something. Again, consider that Dallas Willard quote that I opened up with. He essentially is saying that our lives are mainly dictated by the things that we decide to submit ourselves to. That's what he's saying. And so if you want to be a person who cares well for others, 
which again is a life that you can be proud of when all is said and done, if you want to have that kind of a life, you need to decide to submit yourself to something or someone that will shape you into a kind of person in which caring for others rather than yourself becomes a second nature. How do we do that? Well, I want you again to consider Timothy. He's this picture of someone who's a servant. That's that's absolutely an echo of verses 1 through 4. It's an echo of of somebody who came down for us and used his power to become a servant. Or Epaphroditus, he was one who's willing to risk his life to care for others. Again, a direct echo of verses 1 through 4. Commentators agree that Timothy and Epaphroditus are illustrations of what it is to share in the same mindset of Jesus. And so they together give us uh, a display of what your life can look like when it's shaped by the humility that comes from the life and the love of Jesus. And so we have to consider again, what is it to be shaped by something or someone that will turn our lives into a kind of life that naturally cares for others rather than our own selves? This is, this is the last point. If you want to become a person like that, then you need to pursue humility over pride. That everything I've been talking about today is a direct implication of a life of humility. Well, how do we get this humility? Again, that Dallas Willard quote, he says, he observes that a lack of character, a lack of commitment, a lack of integrity are all expressions of our loneliness. And therefore, if you want to be a person, of, uh, a person who cares well for others, you need to be a person of high character. But to be a person of high character, you've got to figure out your loneliness first. And what we see in Timothy, what we see in Paul, what we see in the church in Philippi, what we, what we see in Epaphroditus, is that the only way your loneliness can be fixed, can be addressed, is if you decide to submit yourself to Jesus. Because the Bible says that the yoke of Jesus is easy and his burden is light. And when you walk with him, when you fail him, he'll forgive you. Because his path is one of forgiveness, of restoration, of grace, of mercy. And when you follow Jesus by faith through the ups and downs of your life, what you will discover over years, it's slow, that your life slowly begins to change into a person of great character. A type of life that when it's all said and done, you can look back and be proud of it. But what's the interesting thing is, as you're walking next to Jesus, what you begin to realize is that it was, it's never your life in the first place, but that because of faith and the power of God's Spirit working in you, it's actually His life beaming through you, shining through what you do and what you say and what you think and how you act. And then you can't be proud at all. There's no pride. There's no ego. You realize life is not about you, but it's about Him shining through you. And that is how you live a life that you can be proud of, because it's not yours to begin with. But through faith, it's Jesus. It's, it's his life that's shining out of you. It's his life that makes you into a kind of person and into a kind of community that cares well for others. And that's absolutely a life, at the end of the day, uh, you can be proud of. And that's the life that we're called to live. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for uh, just this time to uh, reflect on this beautiful relationship, this challenging relationship that we see with uh, the Apostle Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and the church in Philippi that they all loved so well. Uh, we are reminded that, um, that that didn't happen by accident, but that this bond that they had for one another was a direct result uh, out of having faith in your son, being, following him. Uh, and so we ask that you give us uh, strength, this community, this church strength to follow you 
that we would pursue character before anything else, that we would uh, pursue the care of others before the care of our own needs. And through that, Father, we, we realize that it all needs to be um, undergirded and fueled by the humility that we find, find in Jesus. So give us that strength to be um, a, a person, an, an individual, and a church that we can be proud of. Again, we're not being proud of ourselves, but we're being proud of the life that you're giving us, a life that's shining out of you. We're really glorying in you. So we thank you for that. We pray this in your name. Amen.